Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, October 7th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. I can scarcely contemplate a greater calamity that could befall this country than to be loaded with a debt exceeding their ability to ever discharge. That quote is from the anti-federalist writer Brutus. And here we are. The national debt is among a bunch of topics I want to cover today. But first, I just wanted to let you guys know, made it through the hurricane just fine. Uh, We really dodged a bullet here in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Got some pretty good gusty winds, a little bit of tree damage here and there. Uh, Power flickered, internet flickered, but really not any massive impacts here. Nothing compared to what you've seen down in southwest Florida, down Fort Myers, Sanibel Island, uh, Cape Coral, Punta Gorda. Uh, Those places just got hammered. The, The devastation is unimaginable. Um, I've got some friends that live in that area, and I've talked to them and and seen some videos that that they've shot. And uh, it really is tragic. And, you know, if if you're in a position where you can uh, donate to one of the organizations that's helping out, uh, definitely do that um, because they're going to need help. It's going to take years to rebuild down there. Uh, But here in Tampa Bay area, We are just fine and dandy and ready to move on with today's Friday Gold Wrap. So we had a big rally in the gold and silver markets this week. Gold broke back above 1700. Uh, In fact, we got close to 1730 midweek before some selling pressure set in. You know, and as always, the biggest driver of the precious metals market continues to be Federal Reserve expectations. Will they or won't they keep tightening? Now, this week, the won'ts took control. um, But, you know, it seems to be kind of shifting back. This was really set up last week when the Bank of England capitulated and launched a QE program despite extremely high inflation levels over there. So why did the Bank of England do this? Well, something broke, specifically their bond market and uh, their pension funds. Now, up until announcing this pivot, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey was just as hawkish as Jerome Powell. The Bank of England had been basically following the trajectory of the Fed and other central banks. They had raised interest rates from 0.1% last December to about 2.25% today. This included a 50 basis point rate hike in August, which was the largest BOE rate hike in 27 years. Bailey even said he was committed to bringing down inflation no matter what the cost. And he talked about being willing to endure some pain. I mean, basically, he was channeling Jerome Powell. And then this crisis manifested itself in the UK pension system uh, with plunging bond prices. CNBC summed up the problem. Uh, In order to top up the collateral on these bonds, some funds had to raise cash. But due to the speed of the crisis, many funds were caught out and were forced to liquidate their next most liquid asset, long-term bonds or gilts, causing prices of bonds to fall even more. So you've got all of these bonds 
and the British pension system. A lot of pension systems hold bonds because they throw off yield and they're relatively safe and secure. But what happens is when artificially low interest rates are imposed, the revenue that these bonds are kicking off drops, right? So that's a problem for a pension fund because they need this revenue, they need this yield in order to pay their obligations to pay the pensioners. So what a lot of these pension funds will do when interest rates are artificially low is the only way that they can boost up that income is to get more bonds. So they'll actually use the bonds that they already have as collateral to buy more bonds. So the number of bonds makes up for the lower interest rates. But then when interest rates start to rise, then that creates a problem because it raises it drops the price of the bonds that they're holding and sometimes you get to the point where you'll end up with margin calls and basically that's what happened with the british pension system as the bank of england was raising interest rates it was putting strain on all of the debt that these pension funds had accumulated using bonds as collateral and so you ended up with a bond crisis. So in order to stabilize bond prices, the Bank of England stepped in to buy long-term bonds. It's quantitative easing. It's what the Fed was doing. It's how the Fed props up U.S. government spending. They buy the bonds. It creates a market for bonds, and the prices of the bonds rise. It holds interest rates down, and this ostensibly will stabilize the situation in the pension system. Now, I think the Bank of England's move reminded everybody that what these central bankers say isn't all that important, right? It's all about what they actually do. They say a lot of things, right? Uh, They say there's no inflation. They say inflation is transitory. Uh, In 2008, they said there was no problem in the subprime mortgage market. Uh, And then they said the subprime problems were contained. You know, they say they're going to tighten no matter what. And then something breaks in the economy and they react. Something breaks in the financial system and they react. So when something breaks in the U.S. economy, and it inevitably will, it seems likely that Powell and company will do exactly what Bailey and company did over in England. They'll come in to rescue, to fix, to prop up with more easy money. Because I've said this before, that's the fork that the Federal Reserve knows. And make no mistake, with rates this high, and I know that, you know, just over 3% isn't that high, historically speaking, but, you know, in the recent decade, it's high, and it's high given the economic situation. So when you have rates this high and all of the debt in the economy, something is going to break. Then the Fed will have to put their money where their mouth is. And I think the markets kind of figured this out, and they thought, you know what? And look what the Bank of England did. We're starting to see some... some you know, cracks in the economy, ah, maybe the Fed's going to pivot sooner rather than later. So that's why we saw the rally in stocks this week. We saw the rally in precious metals, even in crypto, all of the um, risk assets, because people are thinking, hey, we're going to go back to easy money here pretty soon. But of course, the markets are fickle, and some of that pivot expectation cooled later this week, uh, and, and we saw the selling pressure come back into the precious metals markets. Now, if we get a solid non-farm payroll report today, I bet you'll see another big sell-off in gold again. 
you know, part of this week's rally was due to a really bad jolts number that showed a record crash in job openings that was topped only by the COVID crash. So you're starting to see the impact of this monetary tightening uh, in the labor market. And of course, the labor market has been the go-to for both the Fed and the Biden administration to, you know, make us believe that the economy's just fine. Now, in the meantime, the Fed people are still out there talking very hawkish. Uh, you know, they're making the rounds saying, hey, we're committed to this inflation fight. Don't don't look at what's going over on over there in England. You know, we're, we're good over here. Um, and there was some decent financial data that came out, manufacturing, or it wasn't manufacturing, it was the, uh, the services IPO came out better than expected. Um, so, you know, the real rally in gold and silver is not going to happen until something really breaks. For now, this whole market is being driven by speculation, and you're going to continue to see these ups and downs based on what people think the Federal Reserve is going to do. The real party starts when something actually breaks, when the crisis manifests itself and the Fed is forced to react one way or the other. Um, Now, there is right now some signs of stress in the financial system. Reverse repos are at a record level. Now, I'm not going to take a deep dive into uh, reverse repos in this show because it would take up most of the rest of the show. I'm going to link to an article in the show notes page, though, that kind of explains what's going on uh, in the reverse repo market and what it could possibly mean. Now, another interesting bit of news that came out Uh, that seems to raise anticipation of a Fed pivot was a statement from the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development. That's the UNCTAD. UNCTAD. That's what we're going to call it, the UNCTAD. The UN agency warned that there is a high risk of a global recession due to central banks tightening monetary policy to fight inflation, and that the ensuing economic downturn would severely impact emerging economies that already have high levels of private and public debt. Quote, At the time of falling real wages, fiscal tightening, financial turbulence, and insufficient multilateral support and coordination, excessive monetary tightening could usher in a period of stagnation and economic instability for many developing countries and some developed ones. Now, this is all correct, right? But the UN agency went off the rails with its proposals to deal with inflation. UNCTAD Secretary General Rebecca Grinspan suggested inflation-fighting measures, including windfall taxes on corporations, better regulations to control commodity speculation, and efforts to resolve supply-side bottlenecks. So that's how you say, I don't understand inflation, without actually saying, I don't understand inflation, right? None of those things have anything to do with inflation. Now, as you know, if you listen to this podcast regularly, inflation was caused by central banks, including the U.S. Federal Reserve, printing trillions of dollars out of thin air and injecting them into global economies. And the debt Grinspan frets over was incentivized by those same central banks artificially holding down interest rates for more than a decade. So what she really wants is the Fed to go back, and not just the Fed, all of these central banks, to go back to the easy money to making it possible to keep running up debt. The only way to reverse inflation is to soak the excess fiat currencies out of the global economy. 
In fact, while current efforts by central banks to rein in inflation will almost certainly create economic chaos, just as this UN report predicts, it is not sufficient to slay the inflation dragon. They're not doing enough to soak up the trillions and trillions of dollars that have been injected into the global economy. The UNCTAD is correct about the looming recession. It is correct that monetary tightening is exacerbating it, but they have no solution. And you know why? Because there is no solution. Central banks have two choices right now. They can pop the bubbles and collapse the global economy, just as the UN warns, or they can capitulate to inflation and return to loose monetary inflation. It's an either-or proposition. They're not going to be able to do both. The Bank of England decided, you know what? Forget inflation. We're going to rescue this broken piece of our financial system. That historically has been what central banks have done, including the Federal Reserve. You know, when the stock market tanked in October of 2018, that was the end of tightening. When the pandemic started, we had QE infinity. That's how these central banks operate. That's how central bankers think. Jerome Powell can run around and talk about how we're committed to inflation and we're going to let you feel the pain as much as he wants. When the real pain comes, they tend to capitulate. Now, It is entirely possible that somewhere along the line, Jerome Powell got like a a metal rod injected in his spine, and maybe, just maybe, he will follow through and allow the economy to collapse. But people have to understand, we're not talking about a, a, a kind of a hard landing here. We're talking about a depression of historic size. As I talked about Recently, the bust has to be in proportion to the boom, and the boom has been massive. If the Fed lets it happen, there's going to be a massive bust. So I know there's some people out there that think the Fed is not going to pivot, and you could be right. I don't think you are based on history, but you could be. But if you are right and the Fed doesn't pivot, you're going to see economic chaos like nothing that we've ever seen before. Okay, so at the top of the show, I mentioned the national debt. And I guarantee you that some people out there listening said, yeah, so what? You know, that seems to be the conventional wisdom when it comes to the debt. I remember back in the 90s, we were talking about the national debt, and and it was a big topic of discussion, and people worried about it. And every time we got, you know, big deficit news, the, the financial news would talk about it for two or three days. Now it's basically just a big yawn. Uh, well, earlier this week, the debt eclipsed $31 trillion. And there was some reporting on it, but basically it was just a big yawn. Now, when you factor in unfunded liabilities like Social Security, the debt skyrockets to well over $100 trillion. That amount can never be paid off. And you'll recall what Brutus called a national debt that can't ever be repaid. A calamity. And here we are. And yet nobody really realizes it's a calamity because we haven't felt the pain. We haven't seen the impact of it to this point. And, you know, there's no end to the borrowing and spending in sight. In August alone, the U.S. government ran a massive $219.6 billion budget deficit. That's just one month. And while spending has slowed somewhat with the end of all of the pandemic era programs, the Biden administration continues to burn through roughly half a trillion dollars every single month. 
With one month left in fiscal 2022, the government has spent just over $5.35 trillion. So we're going to be close to, for fiscal 2022, spending in the $6 trillion range. And of course, there's even more spending coming down the height. Hey, the Biden administration is still asking for more COVID relief money. I kid you not, that is a thing. And of course, rising interest rates is going to add even more to this debt. Peter Schiff did a really good overview of the impact of rate hikes on the debt service. You know, the long and short of it is it won't be long until the U.S. government is paying over $1 trillion annually just to make its interest payments. I'm going to link to that article in the show notes page and you can check it out. James Madison, the father of the Constitution, he considered debt part of a trifecta of tools that government uses to oppress the people. He wrote, armies and debts and taxes are the known instruments for putting the many under the domination of the few. Armies, taxes, and debts, quite a trifecta. So most immediately, the debt is a huge problem for the Fed as it tries to fight inflation, as we've talked about before. It's one of the primary reasons I think the Fed will capitulate. I talked about something breaking. The treasury market is a damn good candidate for that breakage to happen, the bond market. You know, the U.S. government cannot keep borrowing and spending without the Fed monetizing the debt. It needs the central bank to buy treasuries to prop up demand, just like the pension systems in the United Kingdom needed the Bank of England to step in and buy those bonds, soak them out of the market. The U.S. government needs the Fed to do the same thing with treasury bonds. Without the Fed's intervention in the bond market, bond prices are going to tank. It's going to drive interest rates on the U.S. debt even higher and ultimately could precipitate a financial crisis. Our analytics guy, Tony, wrote a really good article a couple of weeks ago explaining that rate hikes and monetary tightening won't work with this national debt. You know, the Fed is holding a losing hand and it's bluffing is how he put it. I'll link to that in the show notes page as well. The bottom line is the Fed can't win this inflation fight. It can't do it. And that means you had better get used to spending more on everything. So I don't buy this debt doesn't matter mantra. You know, people think that because it hasn't mattered yet. The government has successfully kicked the debt can down the road for years. But as I say all the time, you can only kick the can down the road so long until you run out of road. And this street is getting mighty short. You know, it's funny because people tell me all the time that I keep preaching economic doom and gloom and then nothing happens. And, you know, you can go back. People have been talking about the debt problems since, like I said, the 90s and nothing's happened. So people think, well, you're, you're wrong because nothing's happened. But, and you know, to be fair, I understand that skepticism. I understand if, if you're sitting out there listening to me and every week I'm saying, you know, the, the dollar's going to collapse and, and the Fed's going to, you know, all of these things that I say and they don't happen the next week, you think, well, Mike Mary's just out there spouting hot air and maybe I am, who knows? But, you know, it's a slow burn. It's like a fuse. It burns and it burns and it burns and then bang. And you don't really know when that bang is going to happen, especially if you're not actually sitting there watching the fuse. A lot of times the bang takes everybody by surprise, but you know that bang is inevitable if you light the fuse. 
We're talking fundamental macroeconomic dynamics. Now, I'm the first to admit predicting things is hard. And if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you know I don't really make predictions per se. You know, I don't say that this absolutely is going to happen because I understand that there are billions of factors impacting the economy. And there are all kinds of things that can go on that can make things last longer than you would expect or shorten things that you think are just going to go on and on and on. Again, the economy is an extremely complex mechanism. So it's very difficult to predict individual things that are going to happen. But as I've said before, as I did an entire show on last week, economics wins in the end. I can't tell you when something is going to break. I can't tell you what exactly is going to break. But I'm certain, given all of the factors, the debt, the bubbles, the Fed interventions, inflation, etc., etc., something is going to break. You know, when the things break, it's usually a surprise. You know, they were saying subprime is contained, and then we had Lehman. That was kind of the thing that broke, that kind of set the financial crisis loose. Uh, you know, you'll have sudden stock market crashes or who knows what. Uh, in, in 2018, we had, uh, or going into 2019, we had the repo market broke. So things break. You don't know what, you don't know where, but when you put stress, something is going to crack. You know, if you put stress on a building, some part of that building eventually is going to crack. You don't know necessarily exactly where it is. Now, you might say, well, Mike, you're just you're just hedging. Well, of course I'm hedging because I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but again, I'm relying on my understanding of macroeconomics and the underlying dynamics in the economy. And that's why I'm, I'm very convinced that at some point something is going to break. And looking at history, I think the Fed will capitulate. I think the Fed will pivot to try to fix whatever it is that breaks whenever that happens. And it could be next week. It could be next year. It could be 2024. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think it's inevitable given the dynamics. Okay, this show's running long, but before I wrap up, I want to cover a report that I ran across last week but couldn't get to because we were down here playing dodgeball with Ian. You know, people ask me all the time, Mike, given record inflation, why haven't we seen a big rally in gold and silver? Gold certainly isn't behaving like an inflation hedge, they tell me. Now, I've talked about the whys of this a lot on this show. We've discussed it earlier today. Basically, the mainstream doesn't believe inflation is here to stay. They believe the Fed is going to win the inflation fight, and they think these rate hikes are sustainable. And if you think those things, you really don't have any reason to be holding gold right now. Now, there are a number of factors that have weighed on precious metals, but as the World Gold Council points out, it's important to put gold and silver's recent price performance into a broader perspective. And here's what you probably don't realize. This actually surprised me when I saw this report. Gold has been one of the better performing asset classes in 2022. Gold has outperformed U.S. bonds, foreign bonds, the S&P 500, foreign stocks, the NASDAQ, the U.S. Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS. The only things that have outperformed gold are commodities, that's especially due to oil and agricultural prices, and the U.S. dollar. So 
While gold has fallen more than 5% over the year, it has fallen far less than most other assets. And if you hold gold in your portfolio, it has helped hedge some of these other losses. Really, dollar strength has been the story of 2022, right? As the World Gold Council put it, rising rates and a strong dollar have had a significant negative effect on gold's performance despite support from geopolitics and inflation. So we've seen the dollar index at 20 plus year highs, which, you know, seems kind of crazy, right? Given the level of inflation. After all, high inflation means the dollar is devaluing, right? So how do we end up with dollar strength? Well, yes, the dollar has been devaluing. As you know, your purchasing power has decreased precipitously. Your dollar won't buy as much stuff as it did last year. But you know what your dollar will buy? It'll buy a lot of euro and yen and Swiss francs and Canadian dollars. As Mike Maloney put it, the U.S. dollar has strengthened so much and so quickly this year that it has become a juggernaut trampling pretty much every other asset. Now, the question is, how long can this last? And in a nutshell, it's going to last as long as the mainstream thinks the Fed can win this inflation fight. Now, despite the headwinds, gold has performed better than might be expected, as indicated by the fact that it's outperformed most other assets. Based solely on interest rates and dollar strength, gold should have fallen about 30% this year, according to a World Gold Council model. Meanwhile, negative investor sentiment drove heavy gold ETF outflows and weak positioning in the futures market. This put additional pressure on the price of gold. The World Gold Council argues that gold has held up remarkably well given the headwinds. Quote, the fact that gold has performed as well as it has, all things considered, is a testament to its global appeal and more nuanced reaction to a wider set of variables. So again, if you own some gold and silver as well, because silver has basically moved up and down with gold, within your broader investment portfolio, it has actually preserved your wealth better than most other assets. If you have an investment portfolio, if you're not just holding cash, then gold and silver has been one of the bright spots in that portfolio this year. But you know, most people don't own any gold or silver at all. They don't have any exposure to gold and silver. Right now, prices are relatively low. I would argue that they are extremely low given the dynamics that we're talking about in the economy. So this might be a good time to start putting some gold and silver into your portfolio. And of course, you can do that by talking to a shift gold precious metal specialist, just dial 1-888-GOLD-160 or shoot them an email at info at shiftgold.com or just go to shiftgold.com, click on the Getting Started tab, and you can chat with a precious metal specialist right there online. Do it today. You got nothing to lose, right? So since we've run really long on this episode and I am now past the release time for the uh, jobs report for September. Let's check it out real quick before we sign off. Let's see what the job numbers are telling us for today. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Um, Let's see. So what I'm seeing, a solid, a solid job gains across the board, except for retail and education. Um, let's see if I can find the actual numbers here. I'm just scrolling through Twitter, by the way. Um, 
So we added 263,000 jobs in September, according to the CNN report. Um, loading it up here. Let's see. Um, slightly higher than estimates. The estimate was for $250,000. Um, oh, this is interesting. While still a robust headline number, it is the second consecutive month of falling totals pointing to a labor market slowdown. Um, the unemployment rate fell back to 3.5% uh, from 3.7%. So uh, I'm sure Peter Schiff will dig into these employment numbers probably in his podcast over the weekend. And uh, we'll be writing about it, talking about it next week. Um, like I said earlier in the show, I think this will probably put more selling pressure on gold because the Fed can point to this and say, see, 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 the economy is fine. We can keep tightening. I'm telling you something's going to break. In the meantime, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. And you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast. We're on most of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcast, Google, Stitcher, um, run the uh, Shift Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of this stuff is on the show notes page, which you will find at shiftgold.com slash news. Uh, as always, I welcome your feedback. You can email me mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. And I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. And I'll talk to you all again next week. <laughs>